It's almost going to fall for Martinez. Antonov trying to get there. Martinez finishes to give away the match. It's an absolute peach from the Paraguayan, Miguel Almiron. Atlanta United in just their second year of existence have won MLS Cup. Flash wrapped up for the I was like when you stand too long over a golf ball, and then you just shake it. <laughs> deep breaths, deep breaths, deep breaths. <laughs> Five-shot final, Jason Jones from the Mothership, and big thing to be named very soon. Maybe not later, very, very soon. Keep an eye out for big things. Joe Patrick, 90 behind the game, and your soccer is over there. Joe Patrick, we got a point. We got, got a point. point. Uh, that, Better than I no think, points. I think after the loss to Toronto, I think you would have said, are you going to take a point if we offer you a point by the end of this two games? I think you say yes. Give I me think, that point. Let's run away screaming at that point. We got a point. Yeah, I, I think I predicted when we were talking on the Daily Show, which you can sign up on patreon.com uh, slash flat stripe final, uh, I said that they would not be getting any points from these two games. Yes, mm-hmm. we were a little bit, I got excited personally when they took the lead against Rebels, thinking, wow, three points, that would be exciting. We talked about that also as well. We really detailed that game on the on the Patreon. Uh, so if you're not a subscriber, you can, you can subscribe there to get our full thoughts on that. We'll touch on it probably throughout the show. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, I, you still take a point, especially with the way that, that game was going against nycfc i was looking at the um i don't know what you call them the those little those those charts that have the bars that go up and down that kind of show the game flow i guess the game flow a game flow chart something like that that's Um, correct yeah nycfc definitely had like three or four moments of the game where they were like utterly dominant and they and that Mm -hmm. reflects in the stats the big chance i think they created six big chances um connected on two of them of course missed four big chances but they missed more big chances than Atlanta United created but in the last 30 minutes it was all Atlanta United controlling the game from that point forward and so I think that that's a huge credit to the team especially coming off of you know a tough one against Rebels just a couple days before a quick turnaround tired legs Um, so for them to get something out of that game I think is really rewarding for them not not necessarily in the it's not going to reflect in the table so much just like getting a point but i think just mentality wise it could be big for this team there are positive things to take away from both games i think yeah, and yeah definitely. again we went super deep into the red bulls game about like a 50 something minute show we got meta about on the there. red bulls game about yeah exactly the club uh, <laughs> <laughs> of course right and we're going to talk about the club more going forward in this one as well i'm sure but Patreon.com slash five stripe final to check that out. Uh, I think you're right, Joe, though, the, uh, about, you know, a C- FC game. I think there was a lot of good to take away from the Red Bulls game, except for the last essentially, what, seven minutes? Mm-hmm. Goals in the 83rd yep. and 89th minute there where Atlanta just kind of broke down. And it, it, it's frustrating to see those, right? But part of me just like hopes everyone was just taking notes this week. Right, on like what to do going forward. <laughs> right. Yeah. Especially in comparison to what happened in Toronto, as disastrous as that game was. It threw all the notes out the window for that one because it was just miserable and awful and nothing good can come from it. But Red Bull's game, all right, you, you find out that you can play in a back three if you need to and that you can find ways to work through a really vaulted, vaunted press, right? You can find these moments. You can find diagonal balls that break lines as long as you're making the runs into space there there's off ball movement that you can take from and nycfc you're up against a team that's one of the best in the league right and you're on this tiny pitch and you're almost forced to be direct in a way that atlanta united has not been very direct yeah at all 
yeah. this year, right? Yeah. And the, the, sometimes we talk about in the the writer world, right, that restrictions can define creativity, right, or mm-hmm. can at least like accelerate it, mm-hmm. you know. And, and the literal restrictions this team was facing kind of accelerated some of the creativity they had to that they had to find against OACFC uh, because they started playing uh, more direct. They started playing balls in behind, right? They started going over the top. They started making runs in behind. And it's because you kind of have to do that when you survive. So there's a lot to, to kind of take away and build on, I think, from this last week, even if this last week still remains frustrating when it comes down to, to the final results, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I mean, it, you know, it, it reminds me of something that Gonzalo Pineda said. I think it was after that Cincinnati game where they created a bunch of chances and it ended nil-nil. I think they had like three plus XG or something in that game. And uh, Gonzalo Pineda was like, it's so frustrating because it feels like we have to do every single thing right to to get an actual win, to get the results that they're looking for. <laughs> and then we talked mm-hmm. about this after the Red Bulls on that Patreon episode where, you know, maybe some of that is partly down to this team not really having the experience of winning together over a long period of time, you know, like where it felt like under the, the, that kind of group that was together under Tata Martino, like they were able to, to secure and lock down wins even when they weren't utterly dominant in a game and right now it feels like this team has to be utterly dominant to get the the three points that they want but i think to your point we are seeing these like little building blocks and um you know rob usry also wrote about this on dirty south soccer just with his thoughts from these last couple games and i was actually like you know rob is one who won't mince words but he also sounded relatively encouraged by what with what he's seen despite the fact that they only took one point from these games i mean let's remember these are two of the best teams the the, two of the probably most difficult fixtures you can possibly have Mm -hmm. in mls and they really stood up to the task in both of them they just obviously didn't get the maximum amount of points they could have but i think it was just obviously, uh, you know, uh, a lot of positives from the weekend. It's not going to get much easier going forward, at least for a little while. In a way, Austin comes into town this weekend. Austin is legit good. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're at the point where we have enough data points to say, okay, we know they're ever performing a little bit, but also huge game. This is, I mean, yeah. this is, this is going to be a huge game this coming weekend. I mean, first of all, it's an open, full capacity stadium. Mercedes-Benz stands. Mercedes-Benz mm-hmm. Stadium, but I just mean because Atlanta United cannot drop, be dropping much many more points at home. They really have to lock down mm-hmm. these home games, and so to have to be in that situation against, to your point, one of the top teams in MLS, a team that I think is going to want to come in and play, you know, an attractive, open attacking game of soccer. I mean, I think it's going to be a, a great spectacle for fans, and I think it will be a good test for Pineda. This is about the, I think they're the only team in the league that has more possession than Atlanta United mm. as far as like a, a time of possession and their focus on possession and everything like that. I, mm. I think those stats kind of work out that way. Going to be fun, though. I, I know a whole bunch of Austin folks are going to come this way. But first, to get to all that, we have to look back at this last week. We're going to do all that and more, but first got to get some stuff to get to in business time. Yes, business. Business time, Joe, Pat, a few things to get to. Most notably, the transfer window opens on the 7th. That is this Thursday, which means that Juan Abrata and Raul Godino will officially be eligible to play for Atlanta United against Austin. And, of course, going forward, uh, it means that it looks like Tyler Wolf is going to go on loan to a Belgian second division side that I'm not going to try to pronounce. Uh, that could even happen before the window opens. That could happen during this podcast. Yeah, it could I happen any time. Joe Patrick. And it seems like Aiden McFadden's going to get uh, maybe 
added to the roster? I, mean, I don't quite know how the mechanic works. I feel like they have to. Currently, he's been able to play through, I think this is a new mechanism that MLS has implemented where players can come in and take the place of somebody on the roster who gets a youth national team call-up. So in this case, Tyler Wolf was going up to the U-20s where he por- performed admirably, by the way, scored in a bunch of those games in that mm-hmm. U-20 CONCACAF championship. So uh, credit to him. But that's why Aiden McFadden has been on this roster. Technically, that ended. It was through July 3rd. July 3rd was the date of the NYCF game. So technically, as we speak right now, Aiden McFadden is not on the first team roster, but I tend to think that Tyler Wolf's outgoing, him going on loan, that will somehow figure into Aiden clearing a spot for Aiden McFadden to fill that that spot on the roster. And really, Atlanta United has to do it because of the numbers, you know, in, in defense. Like, they <laughs> they need Aiden McFadden just to, to be a fullback that's available for them. I don't think, you know... I think people may speculate on what this means for Tyler Wolf. I think the club is still super, super high on Tyler Wolf. I think it's just a fact that this is happening because it's a way to get him games, which is what they want um, at a high level. Get him even out of his out of his comfort zone a little bit playing in Europe, and uh, obviously opens up a spot. I think for McFadden to um, mm-hmm. yeah keep a place on this team for the rest of the season. We have some things to talk about with McFadden because eventually Brooks Levin's going to be back. Mm-hmm. And McFadden has looked looked effective. Should, yeah. should we get to that now? I mean, sure. I guess we can. Sure. Yeah, we can go ahead and start maybe just like gently pushing some thoughts out there and, and see where the Overton window takes us on this one. But McFadden, one, I'm just going to say this from the start, and I kind of whispered this to some folks this weekend, and, and they agreed. McFadden plays a better cross than Brooks Lennon, I think. It has more movement. It's got more pace. It it's maybe not as quote unquote accurate as, as Brooks Lennon, who you know creates a ton of not so great chances with his crossing. It, it just seems more threatening. I'll just put that out there. Yeah, I'll just put that. Out there. There's the first thing. No, I agree. I mean, that's what that's kind of what Aiden McFadden's been known for uh, with Atlanta United too. It was just unbelievable service from the right side. They last year they played in a back three a bunch where he was able to really get forward as the right wing back. And yeah, I mean, he won ML or uh, USL Championship Player of the Week uh, at least once. I think he may have won it twice. Obviously, the goal he's scored goals from that position as well, which factor in. But yeah, I agree. The service is good. And you want to you want to know something that's kind of um, may blow your mind here, Sam. May blow your mind. Okay. He's only one year younger than Brooks Lennon. Yeah. <laughs> he's like he's right. actually he's 23 years old. I mean, he's like a couple years older than my uh, than George Campbell, than Franco Ibarra, than like a lot of the players on this team. So while the while he's coming up from USL, um, and obviously he doesn't have the same kind of MLS experience, he is he does just have the the age experience, the life experience uh, that some of these guys don't have. So. Um, I think that's helped him a lot, too, in this situation coming up. And he certainly seems that way when he's talked to media, which he has a couple times already uh, after games. He he sounds like a pro. You know, he doesn't sound like a kid who's kind of, you know, um, feels like he's under the spotlight or anything. He seems very comfortable in that position. That's what really has struck me since wa- watching him play for the first team. He doesn't act or play like a, a kid who's like a fish out of water. You know, he, he seems comfortable. Um, and and honestly, I would just wish he would be a little, a little bit more assertive sometimes. And I think we did start to see that in the NYCFC game, um, you know, taking some shots, just mm-hmm. like doing some some more things. And I agree. I think his end product is is quite good. You're right. My, my mind is thoroughly broken by the fact that Brooks Lennon is two years younger than me. That has that has stressed me out to no end here, and, and I realize what it is. 
is that he? I mean, he came into MLS the first year Atlanta United did. He he was on loan from Liverpool mm-hmm. in, in 2017 with RSL and has been in MLS ever since then, right? So mm-hmm. he's been around as long as the team has, which is why he feels so old, I guess. But yeah, 24, 24 years old. 24 years old. Um, I'm not saying Brooks is bad when I'm talking about all this. I'm just saying that there, we need more data points, you know, a little bit more, right? But Aiden seems a little more explosive going forward, a little more explosive in general, and solid defensively. I, I can see a world where we get more data points and go, well, Aiden's got to start at this point. Uh, I'm just curious. Yeah. I'm just curious. That's all. That's yeah. all. Yeah. More no, time. I mean, I, either way, it's a good situation for Atlanta United that this player seems like he's MLS capable. Um, and, you know, I'm sure that will play into their plans going forward. It's certainly, you're happy that you have a player that's MLS capable in the situation you're in right now where Brooks Lennon and, and Ronald Hernandez both go down. But certainly whenever a player like this does emerge, it gives you more flexibility on the roster to to do different things and potentially open up monies by, you know, saying, OK, well, if we have this player coming up, then, you know, we have the ability to, to let this player leave and, and open up some roster space and some flexibility. So it's always a good thing. Uh, but I don't think that we're necessarily likely to see any of that specific action, that transfer action, as it relates to McFadden until after the season when they could plan with him going forward. For sure. For sure. Uh, maybe some other transfer action for Atlanta United as things kind of open up here in the secondary transfer window. Again, that's on the 7th. Again, Juanjo Parata, Rogadino will be eligible at that point. Joe Patrick, real quick, to, to both of these guys kind of jump into the lineup, do you think? I think Gadinho might. I'm less confident on Pirata. Yeah, you know, I think that Gadinho, I'm, I'm much more bullish on Gadinho entering the starting lineup, replacing Rocco Rios Novo after this most recent game. This most recent yes. game I thought was Rocco's worst. Uh, I thought he looked a little bit overwhelmed at times. I thought, you know, some of the communication seemed a little like dicey, like and maybe it wasn't happening so much. I mean, there were some kind of crazy, like, you know, goal mouth action around, you know, around his uh, his area. And it just didn't give me a ton of faith in him. Also, he's been beaten to the near post a couple times. A couple times. Yep. Yeah. So uh, which is, you know, a goalkeeper should tell you would tell you never should happen. So, yeah, I, th- I could see Godinho coming in. I would like to see Juanjo Parata come into the team. I only think that happens if they go to a back three, but I really liked what I saw from the team when they were in the back three against New York, against uh, uh, Rebels. Um, Gonzalo Pineda intimated that that was not something that they will necessarily stick with, that it was largely a team-specific tactic going up against Rebels high pressure. But um, I certainly think seem to think that uh, Alan Franco is more comfortable in a back three. He kind of covers for some of his mistakes. Um, and, you know, I, I can't say anything for Parata, his quality, necessarily. I mean, we haven't seen him play. Um, but I just like the way that the team looked in that setup. And so that's the main reason why I'd like to see him start. But we'll see. What, what about you? Do you have any... Thoughts on it? I mean, I have a main reason that Juanjo Parata should start and has really not much to do with Juanjo Parata and and more with who's starting right now. But we'll get to we'll get to them in a little okay. bit. We'll get to them in a little bit. Um, I, I doubt he jumps in immediately. I do. Yeah, this is a guy that just doesn't have a ton of experience, honestly. His minutes played is just low. It, it's going to be a second. I'm not quite sure what caliber of player later tonight is really expecting to get from here. Um, I, I think he may just be more of a depth piece in the long run but that's fine that's fine because i i still think moves may be made 
nothing journalistic about that. Just maybe some hopes, right? Uh, as far as Gadinho goes, yeah, I, I think you start him. I think you, people will focus on Rocco's ability to distribute, and that is true. He's good sure. at the ball at his feet, mm-hmm. and it, it's great to have basically a, a defensive midfielder at goalkeeper as like an added bonus. But it has to be a bonus to everything. It can't be the only thing, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I mean, you need you need a shot stopper, plain yeah. and simple. And Gadinho could, in theory, be that guy. He hasn't necessarily been that guy for other teams. But hopefully he doesn't get beat near post like Rocco has a few times. And yeah. has just looked, in general, not like the, the shot stopper that Atlanta United needs in this situation. Yeah? Agree. Agree. Cool. All right, Joe Patrick, I think we can both agree as well that it's time to move on to Sports Prime Game Time. Hey, Cam. Sports Prime Game Time, 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 Joe, Patrick, uh, again, lost to uh, the New York Red Bulls on Thursday, uh, 2-2 draw at NYCFC on Sunday. It's a quick turnaround. Again, we're both pretty happy with one point, all considered. We talked more in depth about that Red Bulls game, but Joe Patrick, any any kind of quick hits you want to get to beyond what we did on, on the Patreon? Um, I mean, the team played really well. Like you, you got to give them so much credit. I, conti- I I hinted at it earlier in the show here, but I thought that the way that they were set up in the back three really suited the team. I was interested to see how they would play without Marcelino Moreno in the starting lineup, which is like the first time he's been out of the starting lineup in a long time. I thought mm. they played really well. I thought the team looked really good with three kind of more true central midfielders in there and what was interesting about the setup uh, a couple of interesting this is kind of nerdy uh, interest that I have in, in Gonzalo Pineda's tactical setup in that game but he played with Mateus Rosetto as the deepest lying midfielder of the three we 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 look at him as the more attacking of the three between him Abara and Sadich but he was playing as the deepest lying I thought that, that helped the team um, he was there for outlets from the center backs which he had talked about leading up to that game and then I was also just interested with the way that he deployed his three center backs with uh, Alex Dijon on the left side Alan Franco in as the central kind of deepest lying center back and George Campbell on the right I thought Alan Franco would certainly play on the right side because he is that kind of more aggressive center back that would allow him to go out and try to challenge the ball and make plays while he has cover behind him but he actually played really well in that game playing as the central covering center back um and he's all you know his statistically he's always been very good at like the tackles and winning the duels and things like that it's been more of you know the decision making on his part that I think that has been the real uh, killer for the team and some you know, misreading his his uh, weak in the air. Uh, I think we can is safe to say with him, but I thought mm. he played well in that position. So I thought it was good. Um, <laughs> they they got off to a slow start just attacking wise. Luis Araujo and Ronaldo Cisneros basically your only two attacking players in the entire eleven. But as the game wore on, they did start to find some patterns where they were able to get through on goal. They had some really great chances toward the end of the half that they could have scored on. Um, they just played well. I mean, it was it was a 
total opposite of the Toronto game, where in Tor- the Toronto game, from the moment the, f- the whistle blew to start that game, everything looked chaotic and helter-skelter. In this game, they looked just solid and difficult to play mm-hmm. through, and then they got better and better in the attacking phase as the game went on. That's what I would like to see this team more look like on the road. For sure. Absolutely. No, it was so much better from the perspective of the buildup, especially. And I kind of went through that in the on-review that we do for the Patreon. And it just like crisper, just like sharper. Again, people actually moving into space and people knowing where to look to find space and where to find outlets that they just didn't have against Toronto. Um, But to recover from a Toronto team that's been one of the worst teams at effective pressing in the league. They were pressing all year. They haven't been good at it. Atlanta made them look really good at it (laughs) for a lot of reasons. To go from that to Red Bulls, who have been their Red Bullsy best this year, and to effectively, you know, find the chances that you normally don't find against that team, yeah, that was huge. That was huge, right? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, good things there. Again, my biggest takeaway, though. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was gonna say, and then yeah, obviously they didn't win the game, uh, which were yes, totally, that was my other thing. But, yeah. but like the reason that we're so positive about this, despite the fact that they didn't win, is because you look at the goals and they were just total individual errors. It was nothing systemic about the way the team was playing or the setup or anything like that. It was literally two mistakes. It was a lunge by Caleb Wiley um, in the box. Clip the guy, a clear penalty, and then uh, Alex DeJohn just kind of, he's in kind of a more attacking mindset, I guess, but just doesn't make a play on the ball that was passed to him when he should have. And, you know, again, interception goal. So, I mean, it wasn't anything that you should be concerned about long term. And the things that we did see that were positives, I think, are more long term positives for this team. In a sense, in a sense, I would disagree that. With long-term, I guess, as far as there being nothing there to really worry about long-term. Because I think to some extent, and and we talked about this earlier, right? But to some extent, right, Atlanta United has lost the muscle memory of what it's like to win. Yeah. Right? They just can't execute on that level. And it's been a common theme for me for the last few weeks, really. Uh, Just looking at this team and not seeing a culture that remembers and understands how to win games again. And I'm just not sure that continues with the group they have now. I don't know if you can sit there with the group you have now and just expect it to get better, no matter what kind of work Gonzalo does. So my thought is that new people need to come in and some people need to come out. And I guess that's a perfectly great segue into talking about Alan Franco's day against NYCFC because frustratingly bad is the word I would use. Frustratingly apathetic in so many ways as well. It's It would be one thing if he was struggling and giving it 100,000% the entire time and was just kind of not that great at soccer. But he's struggling, doesn't look that great at soccer, and just gives up on plays. Gives up on plays in a way that he shouldn't. And gives up on balls in the air in a way that he shouldn't and doesn't have good quality communication with folks when he should. It's been a total bust from my perspective on Alan Franco. And I think if you have a chance to move him, you do it. Yeah, I mean, so I guess I have a little bit of a different take on on Franco. I think that when he's been in a back three, he's been a very good MLS center back. 
Um, and that goes back to last year as well. In fact, I'm mainly thinking about last season. Um, but you're right. I mean, like he makes mental mistakes that he shouldn't. And the frustrating thing is when you look back on his stat sheets, and this is the reason why like the deep analytics love him so much is because the deep analytics have a harder time deciphering those bad decisions. And all they see mm-hmm. is the the great tackle rate, the great, you know, dribbling and passing and, and the things that he does on the ball and uh, all this stuff. Even when you look back at the NYCFC game, he was he led the team in recoveries he led the team in tackles he had he was six for six on his duels um you know he had all these positives on the stat sheet but then in the 37th minute when the team is you know the nycfc is running at atlanta's defense he decides to try to pull you know an offside trap when he really shouldn't have uh he you know the 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 play to make was to just keep running with tati castellanos and give castellanos credit It, it was a good run but clearly alan franco was trying to pull an offside trap there and it just wasn't necessary. It's too much of a risk to try to pull that. And to me, that is kind of down to uh, a, a level of fatigue, a level of either like mental or physical fatigue. It's late in the half. You've played. You're coming off a, a you know um, a quick turnaround game. And I think that honestly, sometimes players just don't want to make that sprint to to run with a striker. But in that case, that's what you got to do. And it was just a. Uh, it was too risky of a decision for him to make there, and it cost the team a goal. So, so this, all this goes back to as good as he is in all these different areas on the stat sheet. If you make one of these mental errors and it leads to a goal, how helpful are you really for the team? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's obviously what the frustration has been with Alan Franco. I think we're like again, and so I agree with a lot of that. Uh, but I think that you can cover for some of these errors that he makes by by deploying a specific tactical system. Um, now, do you want your <laughs> the, the the shortcomings of one of your center backs to like dictate how you have to play the game? Probably not. Or not, or not how to play the game, but uh, how you want to set up the team? Probably not. I, I think where where it comes to a transfer is going to be difficult just because of if you tr- if you sell Alan Franco, then. I guess you're buying a center back to replace him. Um, that center back would mm-hmm. need to come in and you know settle in Atlanta and you know play well. That's that's a tall ask for a player with a uh, on a team that's trying to chase a, a playoff spot as it is. Um, I guess what I'm saying is like the depth I think of this team right now and, and the um, or the lack of depth I should say at the back is really what's probably going to keep him in Atlanta at least in this mm-hmm. transfer window and make maybe they can. Uh, make a decision on him after the season. Is that almost a punt, though? I don't know. I I, I feel like there might be some risk involved here and needed with potentially making that move. And again, I'm asking a lot. I'm asking a lot for them to, one, find a buyer, and then for them to go out and find a replacement. But if you just keep trotting out someone who's going to make a critical mistake once a game, you know, or, or worse then uh, I don't know how you can rationalize being fully invested in this season right now is my thought. I'm being extremely harsh. I I get that. I realize some of this is probably hot takey, but there's no player that's been more frustrating for me this season and and more critical to Atlanta's worst results than Alan Franco Mm -hmm. at this point. Mm -hmm. And, And I think it just comes down to the fact that I think you would rather have a center back who's average 100% of the time than a center back who's great 98% of the time and the worst player on the field for the other 2%. You know, it's just the nature of the position. 
right? It's, um, God, who am I thinking of? Lovren for Liverpool was like this for a long time. Mm-hmm. And he would, like, look sharp, look sharp, and then make the worst possible decision at the worst moment and was completely ineffective, right? And derailed uh, a lot of games for Liverpool when he was starting. <laughs> you know, that's a comparison. I'm sure there are a ton of other comps around the world. Of I love it when Lovren who, started games. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So... That's my biggest thing. Obviously, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Yeah, you know. Uh, so it's hard to move, folks. It's hard to sit there with that. But I don't know. Maybe Parata's that guy, and we just don't know it yet. Yeah, maybe we just don't know it yet. But something's so, got to give with that. So that's the thing. Uh, you know, we, you mentioned this, it's MLS and it's hard. Um, you know, you, unfortunately, again, I mean, this isn't news to anybody, but the the unfortunate part is that these teams are confined by, you know, these finite amount of resources that they have i think one of the better ways uh, uh, let me throw this out there i think one of the ways that you could mitigate alan franco if if you like let's say you just want to replace him in the starting lineup pretty much permanently here on the season maybe the better route is to try to find an outgoing move for santiago sosa and then bring in a center back through the u22 Mm -hmm. route Mm -hmm. um that might be something that's more feasible for atlanta i just i don't know how feasible a transfer for Alan Franco is, and then leaving yourself um, that vulnerable. Again, I don't think that that would actually happen with Santiago Sosa either. I think that Atlanta United is going to just forge on with Alan Franco. I do think that you can mitigate some of the the mistakes that he makes, though, with the back three. I know I've already talked about this, but I just feel like if you look at that New York Red Bulls game, he was great. He didn't make a mistake. Uh, <laughs> and I think that part of that was because he was able to just kind of play behind two other center backs, and whenever there was a fire to put out, that's what he's best at is kind of winning one of those ground duels um not great in the air which is a little concerning for a central center back you want you would rather have that player be you know a guy who uh has a good read on the ball and can clear out all those crosses which alan franco doesn't but uh i think that that's at least one way you can just mitigate some of the inexplicable mistakes that he seems to make there's obviously a risk of the back three i you know, at that point, you have to make some pretty critical right. personnel decisions. Right. Right. The, the back three they went with against Red Bulls led to a, a midfield of Fosetu, Ibarra, Sadich with no Marcy and obviously no Almada. With the, right. with the uh, back three, you're basically inserting like an Alex Ajan or a Wanjo Parata in for like Marcelino Moreno. Like you're, <laughs> like you're playing and Marcelino Moreno's on the bench. <laughs> now that's Which, the trade off. And that's exactly I you you had stepped away for a second while I was talking to folks about this but like you don't necessarily want your one of your center backs faults dictating like the team selection and the the team setup in a game. It's not mm-hmm. ideal. Um but it might I don't know. It might be it might be a way. I don't expect this team to play in a back three every single game, um, but I do think that you know I asked Pineda about this after that Red Bulls game, and I just asked like, do you think you found like a setup that you can use when you go on the road just to make yourself dif- more difficult to play against? Again, he kind of shut it down, saying that it was more of a Red Bull specific thing, but um, I don't know. I'm just trying to figure out a way for this team to just be more solid and consistent game to game because it seems like with Alan Franco there when he's playing and as part of a, a center back duo. They could give up a goal at any given moment, it feels like. Mm-hmm. They absolutely could. And it's terrifying, honestly, to see anytime they, they go towards him, anytime a cross goes towards him. It, it's just been a theme. I, I know it sounds like I'm being harsh, but I promise I've gone back and and looked at a lot of the goals that Lane has given up this year. And, and he's the common denominator in so many of them, <laughs> y'all. It, it's just, it's a bummer, honestly. 
it'd be great if he was excellent, you know, but it, it all goes back to that weird transfer saga where Atlanta looked at a couple other center backs and then Gabriel Heinze kind of forced another center back on him and, and, and this was the result. And you can even go far as far back to say, like, it can come back to, to just not paying LGP his money way back right. when. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, this is a deep-seated kind of thing here. It just hasn't gotten better. Yeah. Um, hey, Anton Walks is starting for Charlotte now, by the way. I don't know if you noticed. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I, well, I, I was going to uh, turn us to something more positive. Joseph Martinez scored. He scored against NYCFC. It was a nice delivery by Tiago mm-hmm. Amada. On a, I don't know if they would consider that a cross. I noticed on the stats, Atlanta United only had nine cross or no, six crosses, I think attempts against nycfc nycfc had 21 or 22 in the game so pretty big difference there Um, big difference but i think you got to note too that nycfc's crosses were largely coming from primary assist zones that's another thing that lady united was certainly taking some notes on yep the way nycfc gets numbers forward into the primary assist zones and then numbers trailing in the box for the cutbacks that's where their most dangerous moments came yeah throughout the game and atlanta even did it once or twice and you know it was the the Leonardo DiCaprio pointing meme for me when they did it. I just want them to do it more. You know? yeah. Do it more, guys. Uh, oh, but a, but a, to, a, to, a nice to, header from Joseph. Yeah, to expand Sorry. on that a little bit, it was the same one he attempted against Inter Miami where it looked like yes. he might have hurt himself for like two yep. seconds. Yep. It's like the same exact thing. And we were like, well, a little healthier. I bet he scores that. Two yeah. weeks later, hey, look at that. Yeah. Nailed it. <laughs> yeah, he's looking better and better, which is so encouraging because I was definitely becoming depressed about his yeah. physical state uh so that was great and then um late on when things are going full mls machop chol is playing like right back aiden mcfadden is flipped and is like playing left wing mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh dom dwyer gets the goal actually alan franco hockey assist plays in ronaldo cisneros who i would actually give a lot of credit to ronaldo cisneros for the way he was actually able to turn his defender uh, on that play kind of fake like he was coming towards it to receive at his feet and then that allowed the defender to come onto him and then he he turned him and, and got into space in behind cuts it back to don dwyer who scores and i saw chris smith our friend chris smith who's uh been on the show before tweeted out a stat saying dom dwyer has scored on 4.8% of his touches this season, <laughs> which is insane. It's a great stat. I love it. It's a good pull. It's a good pull. He's been so effective. He really has. Yeah. And Joe Patrick, and, and he will remain effective season, as a sub. As a sub, exactly. <laughs> if I came to you before the season and said Atlanta United's striker room, striker unit, is as deep as they've ever been, where are you guessing Atlanta United is, is in the table? Right? <laughs> right. Like, probably oh they're in a home playoff spot easily then this is great this is great it's a it's a nice luxury to have it really is to to be able to to bring on Cisneros or Dwyer and understand that they're going to be able to do the job at a a above replacement level which is something that Lady United certainly hasn't had even really as a backup striker before but now you got two of them that's a nice luxury that's a good piece that's decent Don- roster building too, because Cisneros came on a transfer for pretty cheap, and then or free was it a free? Uh, uh, can't remember off the top of my head. It was a loan, least. technically. Loan. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, and Dom Dwyer's on a senior minimum. Mm-hmm. So that's that's solid. Dom that's Dwyer solid. has got four goals. Joseph Martinez leads the team with five, although one of those was a penalty. So tied on open play goals. Also tied with Luis Araujo. Like I mean, and obviously. 
has more goals than everybody else. That includes like Tiago Amada, Marcelino Moreno. So what I think we said, like if you, if we got five goals from Dom Dwyer this year, we would be oh, ecstatic with that. And um, he's got four and that all four in the league. I think he's got two more in us open cup against like Chad or whatever, but uh, still <laughs> uh, all the, all the credit to him. I mean, that knows how to find the back of the net. I mean, I think at this point you have a guy, you know, you can sub on early for Joseph and keep mm-hmm. Joseph healthy. And I mm-hmm. think that's maybe one of the biggest advantages is the chance to take Joseph off at like 60 and give him a break. Mm-hmm. Give him a chance to, to refresh his knee and be okay. Or maybe, I don't know, go find the, the piece of chipped tooth that he apparently lost yeah, yeah, in this wild. game, which is crazy because he normally wears a mouth guard like pretty religiously. That's right. That's right. So yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know what happened there, but Joseph, we hope you get your tooth fixed. Was he man. wearing the mouth Goodness. guard? Do we know? He almost always is. Yeah. And so I'd be shocked if he. I'd be shocked if I'd he wasn't. I'd be shocked if he wasn't. Yeah. It's like part of his yeah. thing. Weird. Exactly. Exactly. Well, uh, I, I want to ask you more, one more personal more, question. More soccer players should wear mouth guards, by the way. Yeah, no, exactly. With, the, with all the headers. I mean, yeah. Anyway. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you one more question. We talked about a Marcy-less setup for Atlanta United against Red Bulls, which was due to a number of factors. I think the Red Bullsness in general of it and Marcy's tendency to give away rough looking turnovers factored into that he starts again against nycfc right uh tiago is there as well I, I have to imagine that was a yankee stadium oriented deal you know uh, mm-hmm. to, to have uh, more dribbling minded players out there in that certain scenario players who might be potentially better in, in tight spaces all considered really tight spaces all considered <laughs> and maybe just get off pot shots there were certain factors i think in general that, that led to marcy being out there is marcy going to stay out there on a normal sized field though now that we've kind of seen what the team can potentially look like with them out of the lineup at a place like red bull arena yeah i don't know i mean i think that that's one of the reasons why this game against austin is going to be very interesting because i think the selection that gonzalo panakes gonzalo Pineda takes is going to be yeah, just very interesting to see if Marcelino Moreno is in that starting lineup or does he go to a back three? Um, because now that there are a lot of options on the table, it feels like after these couple of games that he could potentially go to. He uh, Gonzalo Pineda said that Moreno, he kind of felt bad for him because he like wasn't able to get as involved in the game as he normally would be because he was asking him to make the vertical runs to try to stretch the pitch, kind of like doing the Ronaldo Cisneros role. But um, yeah, I mean, it'll be very interesting to see what happens with Marcelino Moreno because he's the player that obviously when we talk about you know changes being made to the starting lineup and whatnot especially with me talking about a back three he is the player that would be coming out of this team so like that is what you have to figure when you're trying to make your risk calculations or your benefit calculations is uh is the team going to be better off with him in or out of the lineup again that red bulls game with three true central midfielders in here's the thing with marcelino moreno to me I don't really consider him as like a midfielder anymore. He plays like a forward. Like he's a he's mm-hmm. he's a he's a forward who likes to kind of drop into the space. Um, he's not uh, he's just not a central midfielder, which is kind of what I thought he was when he came into the league. That's I think what he was tagged on as when he played at Lanús. Um, but here in this team and in, in this league, he plays much more like a forward. Um, I, and it's just, he's just like not as tactically disciplined as a guy who's like more of a structured cent- central midfielder like a Mateus Rosetto, Frank Obara, or even on a Marseidech. So I think that there's just trade-offs that you get with these t- different types of players. Well, I think you can take him out without even doing the back three. 
Yeah, and go to that central three midfield. Yes, yeah, just, yeah. Just, just tuck Almada and Arujo uh, behind Joseph, which is pretty much where they like to play anyway. You know, and you have a little less clutter on that side, and you get that third central midfield in there. I, if I was playing FIFA, would love to see Hisetsu Heinemann Abara with Abara and kind of maybe a, even a single pivot. I don't know if he has the legs for that necessarily. Or maybe Hisetsu at the base of it, like we saw with Abara out wide against Red Bulls. I think it's doable to yeah. some extent. It's just you kind of have to take a risk with pulling Marcy off and, and wondering if anyone's going to even take the shots that they need to take I the attempts. I would suggest going back and watching the first game of the season against Sporting Kansas City where Marcelino Moreno mm-hmm. did not start in that game because he was coming off of some injuries in preseason and that's exactly what they did. They played with three true central midfielders. It was um, Ozzy Alonso, Amar Sadic, and Rosetto. And mm-hmm. um, and it was a different they 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 tactically it was different. Um, it was more of a Christmas tree shape, and I thought it worked really, really well. I was remember being really excited uh, after that game at the mm-hmm. way that it looked. So I agree with you. I think that it is possible to remove him even without going to a back three. And part of that process was Ozzy being the guy who led the pressing, being mm-hmm. a trigger for that, recognizing when to to move the uh, move numbers towards the ball ball side and defend that way. Abara can maybe kind of fill that role as like a younger Ozzy, potentially, right? It, it, it could work. I think it may be worth exploring in the end. Of course, we're going to say all that and get the same exact lineup we were expecting, but it's what it is. I got a stat for you now that we brought Ozzy Alonso up. Atlanta United in their first that won three of their first five league games of the season this year. That was that fifth game was the game in which Ozzy Alonso got hurt. It was uh, the the win against DC United. They have won two games in the league since that time. Holy hell! That was on April second <laughs> that 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 last win happened. They had won they've won two games in the league since that happened. The the most recent one against Inter Miami and a game against the Chicago Fire. That's it. I think that that shows you how important Ozzy Alonso is to pretty much any team that he plays for, but especially mm-hmm. how much Gonzalo Pineda was relying on him specifically this year to kind of kind of be that that pivot, that central role that was just kind of the fulcrum of the entire team. Bleak, bleak, but but not unsalvageable. That's what I kind of keep coming back to. It's not. I, I think yeah, it's not unsalvageable. I think they're either. You can change the DNA of a team in a couple ways. You can do it with the personnel, or you can do it with with adjusting the tactics in some manner, right? And I think the personnel is like the big swing at it, the grand slam swing at it, which that's where I'm kind of at. But they can they can alter things tactically, and I think find a little more cohesion, a little more success. If you compare that with some personnel moves that, that really work out, this is I agree. I totally extremely agree. salvageable. <laughs> I totally agree. And you get got <laughs> Joseph right Martinez, there. who looks as good as he ever has since he hurt the knee. Uh, Luis Araujo is looking, you know, like he's full of confidence and driving forward. You've got Tiago Almada back now. Like, you've got good things happening. Uh, so I agree. I agree. It is salvageable for sure. I mean, they're five points off a playoff spot as it stands right now. Mm-hmm. Half the season to play. Remember what I said about doing a Sounders? Uh, the secret to doing yeah. a Sounders is to bring in Nico Ladero. <laughs> Seems <laughs> yeah. like a, yeah, that's right. If Atlanta can find that, God, that's a huge ask. If Atlanta can find some moves, though, there's yeah, there's there's potential here, right? Yeah. And there's potential for us right now, to Patrick, to go to a quick break. 
And before we get back into the show, it is my favorite time. One of my favorite times. My favorite time of the show every time is when I get to see Sam's beautiful face uh, and, and reconnect with my buddy. But my second favorite time would be every time I get to mention that Lucid FC is the presenting partner a five stripe final. Uh, thank you to Lucid FC for supporting this show. Lucid FC Shop and Buckhead is open by appointment and walk ins 1 to 8 p.m. daily. It's located at 3209 Paces Ferry Place. Use DSS as your season long promo code for free shipping within the United States. Athletic inspired heritage sets are now available online at lucidfc.us. French Terry cotton athletic sets, perfect for performance and recovery and for just lounging around on the couch like I do in my clothes, I'm sure, as seen by Miles Rossi on Miles Robinson in their newest release. Uh, Miles Robinson doing a little uh, modeling for Lucid FC. Uh, and there's new releases this summer from Lucid FC every Thursday on their web shop. Again, lucidfc.us and use DSS as your promo code for free shipping. Jack Harlow, Rihanna, Miles, Miles Robinson. Robinson. <laughs> Just hanging All stars out. connected by Lucid in their own right. Incredible. Love it. Incredible. Equally incredible, these questions that y'all sent in. I don't know that. Actually, I didn't even look at them yet. We're going to find out all about these together. ATL UTD 14 parentheses John, which just cracks me up. I don't know why people just put their <laughs> real name in whatever. Anyway, has Rocco Rios Nova done enough to keep his starting job? Or do you think we'll see Godinho next match? We kind of already touched at it. I think me and Joe are both team Godinho for at least this match yeah I, I agree I just wanted to give one just a shout out to Rocco's Rios Novo for being really good um, better than I think anybody could have realistically expected from him coming into this situation can I throw out a scenario there sure real quick real quick if Atlanta United does the Sounders makes the playoffs faces maybe like the first or second seed New York Red Bulls might be prudent to maybe mm. include Rocco Rios Novo in that just for his distribution and some of the weird tactical tweaks they were able to do against Red Bulls, like with essentially Rocco Rios Novo. G- Gonzalez said he was essentially standing next to Alan Franco <laughs> defensively <laughs> was, at times. Yeah, they were like a back two. It was, yeah, it was like a back two mm. passing it back and forth to each other. There was one time where uh, Rocco Rios Novo like flared out to the left and <laughs> to receive a pass. <laughs> I mean, it was wild. And I, after that game, uh, Gonzalo Pineda, he almost looked like a proud father, like, like talking about Rocco Rios Novo, like, just seeing him play is just special, you know. Just like the way he was, he's able to play because you know it does. It takes cojones to 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 play like that with the ball at your feet as a goalkeeper. So just credit mm. to him. I mean, he's done a really good job. I think Cadinho will probably come in for him, uh, but certainly I think that you know Rocco Rios Novo has really improved his standing. And I you know if I'm at Lenny Nine, I would try to get him on long term. I mean, he's a young, good young goalkeeper that could potentially be a part of your future. What if he's the secret to the midfield and we just haven't realized <laughs> yeah, it yet? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Could be. No, Atlanta needs a shot stopper, and Rocco has not been that yet. So if Nino yeah. can be that person, again, we don't know for sure. We just know he's tall. Then you got to put him in and try it out. Bad Boy says, where you see Dom next year is on a very team-friendly contract, but has proved he's still a useful MLS player. I'm hopeful it's Atlanta. Yeah, he's Damn. got – he, he – at one point said he's on a multi-year contract. Um, mm. I think it was after that US, that uh, U.S. Open Cup game against Chattanooga, I want to say. But he, I, I, I believe it's a two-year deal, so I expect him to be in Atlanta doing the same thing he's doing right now. He, um, I could see a scenario in which he says, you know what, I'm playing so well, I'm not starting. Is there any chance I could go somewhere 
you know, that's removed. I know yeah. that sitting there, Larue just went to California. Like, it, there's there's a potential chance that he may be asked to to go elsewhere, and that would be understandable to some extent, you know. Yeah. But I hope it's Atlanta. Well, I mean, should be Atlanta. <laughs> I think Atlanta would get a really good market value deal if they were if mm-hmm. like if a team wanted to trade for him. Like, you're making money at that point because you basically got him for nothing, and uh, I think he's obviously proving his value in this league. And I think that a lot of teams would love to have a player like Dom Dwyer on their roster, whether he's a starter or as a backup. So I think Atlanta's in a good situation with him, regardless of the way it goes. Agreed. Look out for a feature on Dom and, and the big thing to be named. Nice. Sooner rather than later. Pineda Head 17. Is this, is Pineda Head 17? I've been meaning to ask this. Pineda Head like a play on like Potato Head? I've been uh, wondering. Maybe. I didn't even I, thought maybe, about that. Maybe they're just really excited about Gonzalo Pineda. Pineda Head 17 says, do y'all think Prada Gradino will play this weekend if Prada plays? Oh. Who sits? So we kind of had this a little bit already, but do we think Parada gets in one more time? <sighs> Do I think he will? I, I'm going to say no. Uh, I kind of hope he does, but I, I would say no. Because I think that Gonzalo Pineda will go with a back two, or a back four, essentially. Yeah. It's more difficult to, to plug a center back in than a, than a goalkeeper. Yeah. Right? Which, yeah. you know, kind of makes my whole point about trading Alan Franco and bringing a new center back look a little less valuable as I say it, but it, it is what it is. I think the first time we see Parata is most likely going to be when Atlanta United is has like a second half lead and they mm-hmm. go they throw on another center back to like try to protect that down the stretch. You know, because Pineda's talked about like with Rocco Rios Novo, he didn't play him because he hasn't seen him in a game. You know, and you just like be perfectly honest, like you just don't really trust a player that you haven't seen in those circumstances. So I think that that may be the case with Parata at this point. Agreed. Kurt Castle says, hey, Kurt, congrats on getting married. Kurt Castle says, what's your list of top players you'd like to move out? How easy do you think it will be to move them on? Do, do we have our a list? Uh, uh, <laughs> hit list. Yeah, <laughs> who's who's exactly. moving out? Um, uh, who is I my, think everyone knows who's the top of my list, but Joe, who, my top who, players who do you to have? get out of here. Get the hell out of here. Um, you know, I think that uh, obviously Santiago Sosa is a player who is not really providing any on field value at this point in time. And the place that he occupies on the roster is a place with kind of like technically like an infinite value where you can sign, you can move Santiago Sosa and then sign some player to like a $10 million transfer or something as long as their salary is low enough. So, that's obviously a huge opportunity for the team and probably why I would have Santiago Sosa as like the way that's my top player I'd like to move out. <laughs> um, so he's one. I think Marcelino Moreno is another player where, again, we've been talking on this episode about, you know, is he in your starting lineup or is he not? Um, and he's not as high of a pay, paid of a player as I thought he was, actually. I think he may have earned a higher salary in previous seasons. Um, but he did come in on a decent transfer number, and so I think that that all gets figured into the salary budget charge that he holds. So moving him would certainly free up a lot of money, and I think that you would obviously get a, a nice fee if you're able to trade him within the league because I think he really pops on analytics and stuff, and teams would really like to add a player like Moreno. As far as like the ease of all that, it is tough. But I do want to point out real quick, Joe Patrick, that as someone forced like at gunpoint to follow the league as much as I can, I, I want to point out that a couple of teams have made big moves already, even involving DPs. Minnesota United moves out Adrian Hunu, a DP that simply wasn't working out and has opened up a DP spot. Uh, DC United moves out Edison Flores from a DP spot and, and brings in a new DP just because these things weren't working. It's not impossible to move sure. 
these players, right? True. Other teams are making those moves to essentially like revamp their team yep. at a time of need. DC yep. United, Minnesota United, both teams that could maybe in theory, especially with DC United, uh, make runs in the latter half of the season. They're recognizing that and they're recognizing that they need to move on and make moves quickly to get that done. I think Atlanta United can potentially do the same. Even if I understand there's an argument to retain some cohesion in a year when there just simply hasn't been mm-hmm. a lot. Fair. Definitely cool. fair. Cool. ATL Greg1 says, was Santi bitten by a werewolf or vampire, and how much longer should we expect the transformation to last? I, he, I just he, don't know if we're going to see Santi again in, like, an Atlanta United uniform, question mark? He was on the bench for the NYCFC game, so I guess that's uh, that's an improvement. Um Again, when you've missed this much time in a season, it's hard to then find a place, again, to go back to something I was just saying a second ago, where the manager like trusts you in a given situation, whether that's as a starter or coming in, um, you know, even as a sub in a, in a big spot. Um, mm-hmm. I think that a, a sub is kind of the role that he has right now. And again, that's one of the reasons why I think that he it would be valuable if you could move him out. The only problem with moving out a player like Santiago Sosa is what team is going to take a chance on a guy who has only played like 325 minutes this year because he's been basically perpetually hurt since uh, the end of last season. So it's a tough one with him, but I don't expect to see him make much of an impact on this team this season. The good news at the very least, it's a U22, which is valuable, but it doesn't hurt you right. too it's much not, when yeah. it comes to roster construction and everything yeah. like that. It is something you can kind of maybe potentially be patient with and take a risk on. But at this point, I think that's another move you can make to to enhance this team potentially. Yeah. Yeah. It's when you miss that many, when like, you miss that like much Santee. time, like it's not just the games. You're missing training and like these like very like crucial times to imprint your uh, mm-hmm. to make an impression on the manager and to like find carve out a role for yourself in the team. So I think that that's kind of the the biggest thing going against him at this point. It by the way. It seems to me like all of the reasons he's missing are legitimate. Like he's been, mm-hmm. he had this, it, the illness was weird, but you know, it's an illness. We don't, we're not like taking his temperature every day. We don't like know exactly what's going on there, but he had an illness. And then he had this, the hernia issue over the off season that kept him out all of preseason training. So he missed all of that. Mm-hmm. Franco Ibarra basically solidified his spot while he missed that time. And so, and then he, he's obviously run into this. So I think he has had legitimate issue, uh, injury issues. It's not like Pineda's like, you know, um, I don't think there's like shenanigans going on essentially, but I do think that the fact that he's had these injuries is definitely impacting his ability to get back into the team. Agreed. Agreed. Kurt Castle says, is Alan Franco a mole? If so, which team is paying him to sabotage our game every chance he can? I'm rewatching this NYCFC game and I just got to ask, are these results coming from a team-wide problem or an Alan Franco problem? I can't put everything on Alan Franco, but I think He's part of it. He's part of the concentration lapses that are leading to, to all these critical errors, which leads to Pierce's question. He says, why does Franco seem to constantly lose concentration between periods when he is playing well? Do you think it's fixable? And I just don't know if it's fixable. It's, it's kind of hard to assume that when you see him just not putting in the effort, even on plays where he doesn't get killed for it. He's just not putting in the effort, especially in critical moments inside the box or, or when teams are making transition moves towards the box it, it's just not there i'm not sure what kind of carrot you need to put out in front of alan franco to motivate him to to be that person he may just not be that person that that's my thought damn 
um, I don't like. I guess I disagree. Like, I don't think it's like an effort thing with him. Well, maybe there was a fatigue factor in that in the decision that he made to try to set the upside trap against NYCFC, uh, as we mentioned earlier. Again, I I kind of take the other coin, side of the coin on this, which I I do think it's like quote unquote fixable where if you like put him in a proper tactical setup then it mitigates a lot of his weaknesses and can emphasize some of his strengths so I'll just leave it there but we've talked a lot about this already so uh, yeah I mean I, I, but I just I totally understand the frustration because I have it too when I see him make some of these mental mistakes or lapses or if it's effort I don't know what it is but obviously it's to, frustrating to us all to be totally clear like this could all be confirmation bias in my end like I could have just like started focusing on it uh-huh. in particular, right? And any any break he slightly took, my brain might have been like, "Oh, he's slacking <laughs> off again," you know. So that, right. that could just be me being a terrible person. I want to be very clear <laughs> about that. Alex Bragg says, "Can I really be too upset with results when we have a third string seventeen year old uh, keeper who somehow got younger from a year ago and a league minimum guy starting?" I think that's a good point. I think it's a fair point. I think you can be more frustrated with the lapses. I think at any level, those shouldn't be happening. Again, Seattle is the benchmark. Seattle started their C team and still got a result out of them against Toronto in Toronto this weekend. Someone yeah. named Dylan Tevis, who who literally played one game, came in and scored. They, they all saw that game out. They had the mentality to get it done. That's where you can get frustrated. And again, I, I'm not sure that you can install that culture with the group you have now as is. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's obvious. It's a reality of the situation that you're dealing with a ton of young players in the team. Uh, but I think that you can also like you can be frustrated with the results because the difference in the team, basically the same team that played against Red Bulls, was the same one that played against Toronto, where you give up a result, you don't get any points from a game where you should be taking at least one point. I mean, I know it's on the road, but Toronto is a beatable team, 100%. Mm-hmm. So, I think there are legitimate frustrations that can be ha- that to, to be had with this team right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, you, we should be understanding that we're dealing with a lot of super young players. But, you know, Caleb Wiley, he may be 17 years old, but God damn, that guy plays like he's in his mid-20s. I mean, mm-hmm. he's just a good player. I don't care how old he is. Um, but I think the, the youth does show up in some in some moments. I think Caleb's youth shows up late in games when he's tired. Mm-hmm. He's doesn't yeah. have the legs of, a, of an adult human yet, which is totally fair. Because, yep. again, he's 17. Got to keep repeating that. So sometimes that leads to, to mistakes here and there. But that'll come with time easily. Easily. No worries there at all. Brennan Thomas brings up a good point. I almost brought it up earlier, but I'm so I'm glad he did in this case. Is it time to try a two-striker look with Dom Conway, Ronaldo next to Joseph, and keep Moreno as a super sub? It's an interesting thought. I'm trying to think of what the setup would look like in that case, though. And I'm not sure I can find it in my head with the the four midfield. Yeah. If you're going to have two strikers. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a stri- a, a quote-unquote striker. I do think that there have been some interesting things with Ronaldo playing as like a winger who's going to want to be more vertically penetrative with his runs and just trying to create that space by push- you know, by pushing back the, the back line to account for his movement, and then that could potentially open up more space for Joseph. But 
that hasn't really worked. Like like the last couple of times that they've used it, it has seemed looked good in some flashes, but overall I've not been that encouraged by the way that that has looked. Maybe them him being in more of a traditional striker system would look better next to Joseph, but again, I'm mm-hmm. with you that I don't know how you set up the rest of the team with two strikers, basically. So, I don't see it happening. Yeah, it just doesn't fit. There's like... And Conway, like by the way, two, I wouldn't, two. he's like not even no, really part of the discussion. He's, he's a twos yeah. player from here on out this season. Yeah, I, I can't figure it out in my head. There's like a 4-2-2 two, two, maybe you could do, but it would be extremely yeah. goofy. It just the personnel wouldn't fit at all. It, it, it's not there. It's not there. As a last resort option to, to start claiming goals, sure. Right. Why not? And that's where Dom's Why been not? really good. Exactly. Phillips says, how embarrassing to the league is it to have a top-tier team play on a baseball field week after week? I can't answer this one. Joe Patrick, go ahead. Dude, it is a blight on the league. It is an embarrassment. Um, it's gross. Like, like you would never want to, like, show somebody who's watching soccer for the first time a game on that field. It changes the game tactically as well, which is more frustrating for me than how it looks visually. It's like... It's bad. It, to me, it's just like it's not as fun soccer. It almost feels like whoever looks out with like a bounce that goes their way and all of a sudden has like a clear path towards goal. It's just it's just wild. Um, and I cannot imagine being an NYCFC fan who watches that kind of soccer half of the games. Like it's just crazy. So uh, I'll leave it there. I'm as frustrated with it as anybody. I had to laugh because Rocco Rios Nova was doing his normal thing where he was like 30 yards out of goal and almost got chipped for it. Like yeah, early in the yeah, game, yeah. and I'm like, man, you can't do that here because that's midfield. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I was, I be was careful. laughing. I was laughing by toward the end of the game after uh, after Atlanta United scored. I noticed like the fact that they're playing right in front of Monument Park there in like center field of <laughs> the Yankee Stadium. It's like there, and you could see like the plaque of Babe Ruth there, just like shaking his head at watching NYCFC defend. Their I want to clear. I think I think you said <laughs> where Babe Ruth is buried, and that cracks the gra- me up. The great because, Bambino. Yeah. Uh-huh. I was cracking up at the Yankees just like burying all-stars in their stadium like they're uggas you know yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. incredible like they, a, they should yeah. get on it yeah they should get on it all right Joe patrick we should get on to other things anything you want to say before we get out of here no just uh if you want more of this again we talked in more in depth about red bulls uh on patreon we've got more stuff coming up this week including stuff from the training ground and hopefully a conversation with uh felipe potentially jeff lorenowitz here coming up soon so all good stuff recommend everybody check that out Beautiful. Let's get out of here. Bye, y'all. tuning in everyone to this completely arbitrary internet content piece.